to start to remove all of this stuff that were really just these band-aids on bullet holes that I thought would make me finally feel like I belonged. If you can get into the number one law school in the country and still feel like a fraud and a failure and like you haven't come very far at all, then, oh, got it. I can run as hard as I can from myself, but I can't outrun me. None of this is going to change anything. Welcome to More Than Small Talk. We're Susie Eller, Jennifer Watson, and Holly Gerth, writers and real-life friends. We're inviting you to go deeper, become freer, and feel more connected. So imagine you have a cup of coffee, a mug of tea, or a green smoothie in your hand, and we're all hanging out in your favorite place together. More than Smog Talk, friends, you are in for a treat this week. We have our dear friend, Mary Morantz, with us. Susie, tell us more about Mary. You know what? I can't wait to do this. Mary Morantz is a Yale Law School graduate and the first in her immediate family to go to college. She is the best-selling author of the book, Dirt, and the follow-up book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots. She's the host of the popular podcast, which she's absolutely great at, um, The Mary Morant Show. And she's really an incredible human. So thanks for being with us today, Mary. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Susie, if you could just walk around with me every day. (laughs) (laughs) I would feel a lot better most days. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. I've been looking forward to this since we got it on the calendar. I've gotten to meet both Holly and Susie. And I'm so excited to get to hang out with all three of you together. So just thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So I want to start with Dirt, which first of all, fascinating name for a book, but it's Dirt Growing Strong Roots and What Makes the Broken Beautiful. The cover is gorgeous. And Mary, the writing is really beautiful. Writer to writer. I just, I enjoyed all parts of it. But what prompted you to write this book? Oh, you know, honestly, this is the book I feel like I, you know, I heard somebody, I think it was Marie Forleo's call it like her hit by a bus book. <laughs> like if you were going to get hit by a bus and there was only one book you could get in the world, um, this would be it. It's it's my story. It's the story that I have lived. It's the story I've grappled with. It's continued to inform my life as an adult, which I bet a lot of people listening can resonate with. And so, it, you know, there was kind of this interesting moment of like, you get this book out in the world and you didn't get hit by a bus. Thank goodness. <laughs> so like now, now what, what comes next? What's the next follow-up, which we'll talk about later with slow growth. But, but dirt is truly, you know, there's a part in the book where I say, I felt like even from an early age, God said to me one day, I'm going to put words to it and you're going to mm-hmm. see the hard, mm-hmm. the messy, the broken, all of it was beautiful. And so, you know, your story won't be wasted. So that's really what this book was, is there was no other option. This had to be the first one. Yeah. Yeah. So for those listeners who have not yet gotten to read Dirt and may be meeting you for the first time, can you tell them your story and let them know what we're talking about? Yeah, definitely. I don't know if y'all do video or not. I'll hold it up just in case anyway. Um, This is the cover that Susie mentioned isn't the actual photo of the single wide trailer I grew up in. It was actually taken by my husband, Justin, who's a photographer the first time I brought him home to meet my family. And so born and raised in the 1980s in a single wide kind of tin can trailer. For those of you listening who didn't grow up in a single wide trailer in the 80s, they are not really built to last. (laughs) They're they're not really a hundred, you know, we now live in a hundred year old home. 
that was never really going to happen with the trailer. And we also really accelerated that because me and the neighborhood kids would clump. We were like feral cats. <laughs> climb up on top of this roof of the trailer and like turn it into a slip and slide, except it had like rivets. So not the most comfortable, but uh, not surprising to anyone. The roof started to leak. You know, it started to cave in. I would say it would rain as hard inside as it would out pour through the carpet until we had mushrooms growing out of the carpet. You know, we had stray animals who would just go inside. So it it really was, there's a dirt element in that way as well. But um, single wide trailer, dad's a logger, mom cleaned houses until she started to travel for a job remodeling like retail stores kind of randomly. And um, she actually ends up going on the road and sort of staying on the road. So she leaves when I'm nine and that is sort of most people would look at that story and in a weird way and I, I write this in dirt I write to illustrate this my dad and I our stories are going very parallel in the beginning we're in, literally in the same yard they parked the trailer on the back lots of my grandparents house we are going to the same grade school the same Sunday school and my dad could see an inevitable conclusion playing out because he started mm-hmm. to work in the woods when he was 12 and not that he thought I would go work in the woods because he said, you know, over my dead body, but mm-hmm. that I would have very, very limited choices like he did if something didn't change. And so he actually put me in workbooks for kindergarten. We just kept every time I'd finish one, we kept doing the next grade. So when I started oh. kindergarten, I was in sixth grade reading <laughs> wow. grade math. Yeah. In writing dirt, I said, what is the first domino that fell that ends with me ending up at Yale for law school? And I think that's it. Wow. Mm, yeah. You know, when I, as I was reading this book, I, I was trying to define it for myself. But I want to start with a story first of you and I meeting recently for the first time. And yeah. something that you and I talked about I think within the first 30 to 45 minutes of actually talking is that trauma understands trauma or trauma mm-hmm. sees trauma. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you have another word for that throughout this book. It's called muddy. And so Muddy recognizes Muddy. And so this is, Dirt is is a book, it's a memoir for sure, but it's also a a story of where we start. But you said this, it's remembering our roots while turning our faces to the sky. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that there can be this tension when you grew up a certain way where later in dirt, I talk about it this way. I say that transformation can feel like a betrayal Yeah, that mm. if you start to reach for more, you know, there's a phrase that was used often. I don't, I don't know if any of y'all have ever heard this phrase or not, but it was higher than your raising. She's acting higher than her raising mm. too big for her britches is another way of saying that, but higher <laughs> than her raising where if you reach for more, you're somehow <laughs> implying there was something broken or lacking or missing with where you started. And I think that's that tension, right? It's it's how do you walk out into the world? Because the temptation when you walk into the world is to say, let me put on the trappings of what it looks like to belong here. Let me wear the right outfit. Let me say the right things. Let me put the right things on Instagram so that nobody ever knows the muddy story I walked through, whether that was 40 years ago or last week. We're really good at camouflage. Mm-hmm. Really, really good at camouflage. And so the tension is how do you both look to the sky? How do you reach for more? How do you, you know, like that great righteous oak, stretch out your branches and your fingertips and worship to your creator and to the sky and to where the heights that you could be taken to 
without losing sight of the roots that are actually going to hold you up in the storm, this anchoring. So it is a tension, I think, that um, a lot of us really struggle with. Like, like how do we change our family trees <laughs> without dismissing everything that planted us in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you do that beautifully. Yeah. And you talk about going from that single wide trailer to the halls of Yale and still feeling like not enough, Mm -hmm. you know? And so how do we start healing from that? How do we start finding that enoughness? And I know it's a lifelong journey. We're all still on it. But for you, what helped you start your healing journey? Yeah, there's one of my favorite scenes in Dirt is called Belonging is a J. Crew Sweater. And when I go to Yale for the first time, so I, I, you know, got my acceptance very soon to when classes were starting, actually. And so we had to go find an apartment and we drove from West Virginia. My dad, my grandma Goldie, who's a big character in Dirt at five foot two, and myself and his very, very muddy red pickup truck with chainsaws and you know tree stumps and everything and dr pepper cans in the back of this truck and we we go to the school and it's not yet open because it was a couple weeks before and we're parked on the streets with these gargoyles looking down at us in judgment (laughs) you know and i go and i press my face up against the stained glass window and i'm looking and i still feel like an outsider and i start to notice as i'm there the first couple weeks that every single person seems to have gotten the memo to buy this charcoal gray like wool cashmere button down cardigan from J crew. And there's actually a J crew like down the block and to the right, right from the law school in case you need the proper uniform to get your L woods moment on. And so um, <laughs> I remembered walking into, there's one of my favorite turns of phrases in there is just talking about like the, the cardigan wrapped in tissue paper above a rack of newly sharpened pencil skirts or something like that. And uh, I go to the register and I pay full price for it. And I was really proud of paying full price for it because that felt like what rich Yale law people do. Mm -hmm. And then I go and I put it on and I wear it to school and I say, I didn't feel any different. I just Mm -hmm. felt like me in a gray sweater. And, you know, it's the tag itching at the back of your neck, reminding you that it's just another layer that you've put on. And so in that same section, I'm talking about what it feels like to walk around in the world with a hole in your heart. And to me, I said, you know, I think that doesn't really do justice to it. This is not a pinhole situation. It feels more like a chest wound, <laughs> kind yeah. of like death that comes her. You can see all the way through Goldie yeah. Hawn and you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And then something can just change in the room and a slight breeze is like a root canal, a chest wound in the shape of a root canal. And I tried to stuff that hole in my heart, that chest wound with all of this stuff, this backfill, this opening to stop feeling like sent into fight or flight from a gentle breeze. So gold stars and the right clothes and the right accolades and the right achievements. And if I can just fill and fill and fill and fill, then I'll be fine. But I realized after doing that eventually that it was like eating a whole bag of marshmallows and wondering why you're starving and you feel sick. Yeah. And treating God like a Pez dispenser. Just keep the sugary sweet highs coming. Don't bother about asking me how anemic my faith has become. And so what I ended up realizing to answer your question, Holly, of like, how do you move forward from this was that what I did not need was a filling, but an extraction. Mm. 
that I needed to start to remove all of this stuff that were really just these band-aids on bullet holes that I thought would make me finally feel like I belonged. If you can get into the number one law school in the country and still feel like a fraud and a failure and like you haven't come very far at all, then uh, it was sort of my at last exhaust moment, which we pick up with in slow growth of, oh, got it. I can run as hard as I can from myself, but I can't outrun me. None of this this is going to change anything. I know we're about to transition into slow growth, but I just want to say something about dirt that I thought was really beautiful. You actually portrayed a beautiful, gritty, muddy version of Jesus. And and I just want to read something that I I cried over. (laughs) It said, I once thought that freedom looked like getting to a place where none of the people were muddy. But then I thought about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And at this picture, I saw Jesus kneeling at the feet of my father. (laughs) And it was just this beautiful, because if you've had people in your background that were so muddy and so gritty that their dirt impacted you, (laughs) you know, digging deep into that can be really hard. But what I saw through this was you showing mud meeting mud. And out of that, they're coming this beautiful picture of who Jesus is. So I, I want to personally thank you for that. I just thought that was a, a beautiful view. It wasn't a shiny view of Jesus. But just before we transition to the next book, um, can you share more about this image of Jesus? Yeah. Oh, man. You're going to make me cry first of all, Susan. <laughs> I'm not going to look at you too much. <laughs> um, so in that scene, my dad had actually broken both of his ankles He had jumped down off a dozer right before it was going to roll on him to get free from it and landed in some blind holes and snapped both ankles at the same time. And my dad, being this lore of a legend, Paul Bunyan, it'll be all right, slap some grease (laughs) on it and keep going, kind of guy that he was, he he refused hard casts because he knew it wouldn't be able to work. And so he just did these little like splint air casts because they would still fit in his boots. 5 a.m., pitch black outside, blizzard coming down. He goes off to work. 6 p.m., pitch black, winter, three feet of snow outside. He finds, you know, he comes home, leaves in the dark, comes back in the dark. And his boots would actually be frozen. Uh, We would Mm -hmm. actually have to like wait for them to thaw a little bit. And then like me with my little hands, like trying to undo the shoelaces. I remember looking down at my hands and them being like bright red the way that they are when you're out in the snow Mm -hmm. too long. And, uh, you know, you have to try to get these boots that have been basically acting like casts off of ankles that have, you know, are broken and have swollen. And just he had absolutely no business doing it this way. And he continues to really struggle with his ankles because they never healed properly and just pull these boots off, pull these boots off, pull these boots off. And I remember being really frustrated of like, you know, I spent all day trying to clean up this trailer, trying to make it nicer. I'm in my room studying, trying to get the grades you want me to get. Like, why should I have to leave that to come in and see that you've tracked your dirt in again? These like chunks, these chevron shaped chunks of mud all through this living room I just cleaned up and get your mud on me. You know, I didn't want that. I wanted separation. And so this picture of Jesus kneeling before his ankles is like this. He's in these pristine white robes and he could care less about the mud that's, you know, just getting like streaked up and down him. And I think that's just like such a picture of Jesus. It's like, we're so afraid to come to him when we're broken, when we're muddy, because he looks flawless and perfect. 
glowing in this ethereal golden light. And we don't want to be, you know, I heard somebody say recently, like, God's not asking for a refund on paying the ultimate price for you. And like, we feel like that. He's going to find out where like, there's a lemon law. You can change your mind. You know, <laughs> I don't get my mud all over you. And he, he could care less. He just kneels down at your feet, sits with you and says, I'm sorry for the pain you've been walking around with. And maybe it's time that we heal. Yeah. You got us all in tears. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my word. Like just hearing your story, what a like privilege. Man, I'm gonna like ugly cry, but it's cool. We do that here. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just your story is so powerful. And like, you know, I can just see um our listeners kind of leaning in and um maybe making peace with the dirty parts of their story, the muddy parts. And it's such a beautiful picture, but um, I just want to say thank you for being so brave and open and honest and raw with your story, because that's the life giving stuff. That's the chain breaking stuff right there. And so, um, yeah, so I was like just drinking you in and just going (laughs) to cry and let them do the talking, but um, there's so much power. And so I'd love to hear, how you just kind of built from from dirt to this next book and what that whole process looked like for you. Because I think after you write your first book, you go, oh, this is what I now learned that I didn't put in there. So tell me about your second book and how um, I, it all kind of runs together, right? But our stories and how we tell our stories. So I'd just love to hear more about slow growth. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't even know if you know this. It's really like profound that you just said run together like that, which is very cool because when I was writing Dirt, one of the very last entries that I wrote was an entry that starts off talking about being at last exhausted. I mentioned a second ago, and I thought that was the pretty bow on my story and I was done and we handed off that manuscript and did the copy editing and it went off to print. And I felt very, very soon after that, like, like almost as soon as it was out of my hands that God was like, that section that you thought was the end of your story is actually the point of no return in the hero's journey. Hero's journey for anybody's listening is sort of like a classic structure for uh, storytelling. You can see it in Star Wars. You can see it in basically any good movie you think of. And it's that you are not done yet. You've just gone so far that it, it's, it wouldn't make any sense to turn around that it's actually shorter to keep Mm -hmm. going. The only way out is through. Mm -hmm. Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Like we do not turn around at this point. We have to keep going. We've come too far to go back now. And so this turning point, we're like more than halfway there, but we are not home, Mary, is this at last exhausted. And I say in Slow Growth, we have a very beautiful, Slow Growth is a very beautifully designed book. Oh my goodness. Call it the fraternal twin sister to dirt because dirt in every way is for the girl in the trailer and slow growth is in every way for the woman after. And they look like that. And it was Mm -hmm. on purpose pink with this gold foil. It's stunning. Typography and and beautiful photography that my husband and I took uh, editorial photography of ballerinas and masked women and things like that, masqueraders. And so I say that it is the inciting incident. It is the plot point episode or, you know, moments that will kick off our narrative arc, one that will hopefully leave our protagonist utterly and forever changed by the end. And our inciting incident is at last exhausted. I always say it's very similar to telling a business owner, you got to stop or you're going to burn out. And they go, sorry about that, grandma, but like, you don't know how fast that can go. Like, you don't know how much energy I have. 
And I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Just experience it for yourself. <laughs> I was that person saying that to somebody else, you know, when we first got started. So to a certain extent, you have to experience it for yourself. One of my at last exhausted moments was getting to Yale Law and being like, great. What if success is where the real trouble began? Because you still go home and tuck yourself in the cool cotton sheets and you can't stand the skin you're in. You whisper to this thin epidermis, like, what could you possibly still want? We have everything we ever dreamed of. And so, you know, you have to kind of have run for things and chased things and added gold stars and gone after the checklist of somebody else's dreams and had the highlight reels and had the things happen that you have prayed for a lifetime only to realize that was amazing, but it is an inside job. It is never going to come from outside achievements, outside accolades. If we are going to change our identity, if we are going to rest and stop running and stop striving, that has to happen on the inside. So it becomes what kicks off the whole journey of slow growth. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful book, Mary. And we want to make sure that we put uh, links to both dirt and to slow growth in our show notes. But I want to talk a little bit about a quiz that you offer, yeah. uh, which is yes. kind of fun. Um, everybody likes to take quizzes, but tell us about that and and why it would be beneficial for somebody to take that. Yeah. So a very cool backstory is that um, six years before I ever started writing the manuscript for Slow Growth, before I'd ever gotten an agent or signed a book deal or any of that, um, my husband, Justin, and I were very, very burned out in our photography business. And we needed to just create for us without the pressure of, you know, you do editorial shoots for magazines and there's a whole 300 point shot list and you have two minutes at the station and go. Um, so we just wanted to create for us and to not be under pressure and to, and to be the ones in charge so we could use however much time we wanted. And so we flew a team of us to Venice and did like four or five different looks. And we did another one in New Haven of ballerinas, a ballerina. And we came home from that. I edited up exactly three preview images and posted them on Instagram. And then I didn't know what else to do with them. So they sat on hard drives for six years. And then I start writing this manuscript for slow growth. And I'm trying to get like words to what it felt like for me to always be the woman performing, to always be the woman relentlessly hard on herself. We felt like it was never enough. It was never enough. Run and don't stop running. If you stop running, it just might kill you. The big bad wolf ripping at your heels of the girl in the red cape. And I'm talking about, you know, like it, it feels like you contort because to contort is easier than to be criticized. You twist yourself up into tiny tethered knots. You hide in plain sight. You walk this tightrope where you're waiting for the next upswing of a high to catch you. You stay always on your toes and never drop the act. You wait on perfect. And so as I'm writing, we had a totally different, totally different prototype for the design of this book that just did not fit. It was not me. And my husband, Justin said, what if you went kind of vanity fair, like our photography brand had always been. And it made me remember those images. And then I realized all of them line up with these characters I've been describing because I went and created that shoot when I was at the height of achieving for my worth. And so we took it and we turned it into a quiz, the achiever quiz. And it's basically, it's based on the questions you answer 10 questions, but it's based on the paradigm of, do you chase goals because of how it changes how you feel about yourself? Or do you chase goals because of how it changes how other people see you? And so the performer's on her toes because she wants it, but she wants to show other people how far she's come. The tightrope walker could care less who's clapping, but wants the goals for themselves. The contortionist doesn't care about the goals, but does it to make other people happy. And then both the masquerader and the illusionist stay stuck. The masquerader because they don't want to let anybody down and the illusionist because they're waiting for perfect. So if you go to achieverquiz.com, you can check out the quiz. It takes like two minutes to take. And 
It will tell you not only which type you are, it will tell you your strengths. It will tell you where you get stuck. It will tell you where you get tripped up and it will tell you how to move forward with purpose. Yeah. So Mary Morantz, marymorantz.com. That's M-A-R-A-N-T-Z. And um, I just want to, I just want to end this by saying, um, Mary, you're, you're genuine and you're real. And thank you. I, I see the fingerprints of Jesus on your life. And I see how those fingerprints are now landing on the hearts of other women around the world. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for being with us. And is there any last words you want to leave for someone listening today? Yeah, I just, I feel like every single person that I know has been walking through a really hard season the last mm. You know, bling in 2019 and now it's 2023. (laughs) And so I just, I I feel like everybody listening needs to hear that whatever has been stripped away, whatever you used to do that you are no longer doing that felt like such an important part of your identity, like we do not and should not fear the hidden seasons. We should not fear the shrinking seasons, Mm -hmm. the pruning seasons. We are going to come back from this in a more beautiful, you know, explosion of fruit, explosion of beauty than we we just ever could have imagined. We actually very quickly we bought this hundred year old house that I mentioned. It had this these beautiful hydrangea bushes out front. It was our wedding flower, so we felt like it was a sign. And they were they thrived for thirteen going on fourteen years. We've been here, and this year they came back and they were basically dead. They were just dry branches. We thought we'd lost them, and we look it up on the internet. What do you do? We had to cut these things all the way back down to the ground where you could barely even see them poking their heads up, like down to the last little bit of part that was still alive. And we thought, are, are we, are we going to see them again? Are they going to come back? And fast forward a few months, they are bigger and thriving more than we've ever seen them. Mm-hmm. And so if you are in the middle of a cutback season, of a shrinking season, of a, you know, what, what is happening at all used to work before and nothing's working right now. That is not God leaving you. That is not God forgetting about you. That's God getting you by yourself so he can talk to you. Cut out what's not working. Get it back to what's healthy and just just wait for the comeback. It's going to be worth it. Amen. So good, Mary. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks for going deeper, becoming freer, and connecting with us. More Than Small Talk is a part of the KLRC Podcast Network and is produced by Kara Culver. Show notes and resources are available on the More Than Small Talk page on klrc.com. You can also join us in our Facebook group. Subscribe to More Than Small Talk on your favorite app so you won't ever miss an episode.